Former president dismissed a reporter's question with the rubric, Well, you've never been judged by the color of your skin. The reporter's response, I just have. Who do you think took the heat on that one? You can figure that out. This is where we are. But as individuals, no one has to be there. Each of us can think critically and come to our own conclusions regardless of the mass think mentality. And that's the truth. And we're TNN. The Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. Nobody can control what you think. Nobody can. If you let them control what you think, that's a different story. But top-down, make you think this or make you think that, it cannot be done. We make choices. Many times, most of the time probably, our choices of what we're going to throw up there in our brain and lock it in, those are choices that we make in an emotional moment. Those are the worst times to make decisions, especially life and death situations. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. We're halfway to the weekend. A lot of things happening around us, many things nobody's talking about. They don't want to talk about them because they're not good for their political perspective. And then, of course, yesterday was the off-year elections state elections, local elections, county, parish elections around the nation. And this morning, of course, there are Democrats across the nation and living in the White House, as a matter of fact, that are crowing because a couple of state elections went Democrats' way. Oh, my gosh. You would think they've already won the 2014, uh, 2024 election and the 2028 election. And, of course, they're telling everybody, the mainstream media, Republicans are running for cover. This is a sign that we are not going to let this world, this United States, go back to the doldrums of the Trump four years. Oh, my gosh. Please, please, even if it's not with Donald Trump at the top of the heap, let us go back to everything that was happening in the nation when Donald Trump was president. Are you better off today than you were five years ago? I'm way worse off. I don't know about you. But we're not going to nitpick those local elections and Virginia being the big one. Virginia, if you didn't know this, they controlled with a slim majority their House of Representatives there. And they were doing their darnest to take the Senate, the uh, Virginia Senate House as well, Well, they didn't flip the House, but they did flip. Democrats flipped. uh, They they didn't flip the Senate, I'm sorry. Democrats did flip the House of Representatives in Virginia. So that's, that's the big thing that those on the left are crowing about today. Let them crow. Let them crow. We're going to live a life, a full life, a long life, a successful life. That's what we're going to do. We're going to break down all this other stuff today's show. When I saw you on the beach, I self-destructed. I'm well-constructed. Counterpoint of cool. In that instant, I imagined us together. Hardly ever. Resting to refuel. Fuck. 
This perpetuates like mass production Sweet seduction Hunts me like perfume Every time we touch I feel a deeper meaning Hearts convening Palpitating tune Say that love gives meaning to existence We, for instance, prove that point of view I'm convinced our souls have searched a thousand lifetimes To find the right time Enter me and you For South Louisiana and came to North Louisiana when I was in high school. And when we got married, started having kids, I had only ever seen the Gulf of Mexico from the perspective of uh, really muddy water and marshland at the southern side of uh, 
Louisiana, and I was born in South Texas, still got family in the Houston area, and we used to go to Galveston. Same kind of thing. Sand was kind of brown if we did have sand. And then I found Destin, Florida, the Redneck Riviera with that bleached white sand, and therefore you're going to have clearer water. And it was blue. I thought that was heaven. For decades, that's the only beach that I knew. Now, I went to Hawaii several times, Southern California. Beaches didn't impress me at all. But I saw some videos shot at Turks and Caicos, and I could not believe it was as beautiful. The beaches were as white and the water was as crystal clear as those videos showed. So Marianne and I decided to go. OMG. Not only is it good, it's way better than the video show. And we stayed at the Seven Seas Resort, right on the water. Our condo that we stayed in, we had a back porch looking right on the beach, under the water. Never been in a more peaceful place in my life. We were there for like six days. It was incredible. And of course, several years ago, hurricane hit. That uh, that part of Turks and Caicos, Providencialis is the big city where you fly into. And it's not a big city, but in comparison to the rest of the islands. And it took a while, but Seven Seas Resort is back up and operating. And I saw a video and it looks just like it did before. In case you've never gathered this, if you're not a regular here, or you haven't been around a long time, you don't know how much the Newman family loved the beach. I like to go get rest. When we go to Destin, we always get a condo with a balcony in the back looking over the water. Marianne and our daughters, they could and they do stay out in the sun 24-7 if they could get sun at night, but they don't have to be doing anything. They'll get one of those beach chairs that lays back and they'll get their towels and they're fine going to the pool or going to the beach or both. And typically, we go Saturday through Saturday. When we get there, it's been common knowledge among family members for several decades. When we go, Dad, me, Poppy, he's going to be gone for the first two and a half days. Now, gone doesn't mean not there. It means that I'm either snoozing inside the condo or I'm on the balcony of the condo with the ceiling fan above me going, looking at the ocean, looking at the beach and listening to the waves and just vegging myself back to reality. That's the way the Newman family rolls. Just as I said that, a text popped up from James Posey. (laughs) Two words, love, Destin. It's a great place if you've never been. It's about as good as you can do in the continental United States if you like bleach white sand and you like crystal blue water. It's not all the time crystal blue. It is, by the way, the Gulf of Mexico. And it comes and goes. But most of the time, it's nicer than any other beach and the water thereof that I've been able to discover in the continental United States. Last year, we we combined with one family of our extended family, and we met in South Georgia on the beach, the Atlantic Beach. It wasn't nice. Oh, it was a great island that we stayed on. It was cool. Had that old south, big trees, oak trees, magnolias everywhere. And it was very hot and humid as is normal 
in the South, especially when you're around water, and we were with everybody that we know and love, long-term family relationships, that was cool. But man, I'll miss that bleach white sand. So I'm not going back to South Georgia this summer. Um, I'm not going back to South Georgia for any reason that I can think of right now. But I am going back to Turks and Caicos. Now, what does that have to do with TNN Live today? Really, nothing. But you know what? I like every once in a while to throw in a song like you heard, All I Need by Michael Franks. He's my favorite all-time composer and singer. That may be hard for you to believe. I'm a musician, and I like smooth jazz. And that's what you just heard. Uh, The first time... The first time I heard him, I was in Indianapolis, Indiana, 1986, 1987, right along in there. And I was still in radio. I was doing an afternoon drive show on a radio station, WTPI, and I heard one of his songs. I just couldn't believe it. I'm not a big conventional jazz. You know, the old jazz, I'm not that kind of jazz lover, but smooth jazz, like the song you just heard, OMG, I fell in love. And I've got every, I've got a huge collection of Michael Frank stuff, CD, it was originally albums. You remember those? Some of you, raise your hand if you remember. (laughs) We had albums at first, then we got cassette tapes that didn't last an hour. (laughs) They were always breaking. And then, of course, we got CDs. Thank God we got CVDs. CVDs. <laughs> DVDs. I at least got all the letters in there. Anyway, we've got so much to talk about today. We really do. I guess the big thing that a lot of people were clapping their hands about yesterday, the U.S. House of Representatives popped Rashida Tlaib late last, last night, and uh, they... They had a hearing in which everybody could go and make their case for or against Rashida Tlaib being censored, which is a really big deal in Congress, because basically what you're telling when you censor somebody, hey, you're not acting in your official capacity when you say those things or do those things, and you're not going to be allowed to do that here. And if you continue to do it, they'll, they'll recall you. They'll kick you out. They can expel you. They can do that. So, yesterday, while this was all going on, Rashida Tlaib, she's the House Rep from Michigan, she and her fellow squad members, they got up and just went nuts. I could play it all for you, what they said, but I'm just going to pull a few things out and let you hear for yourself. The previous president wanted to ban us and probably put us in concentration camps. This one wants us just to die. So if I show them in numbers. We're not going to sit back. Every child that died in Gaza, I'm going to multiply it by hundreds. 234 lawmakers, including 22 Democrats, voted to approve the resolution, which accuses Tlaib of promoting false narratives about Hamas's attack on Israel and calling for the destruction of the state of Israel. Squad members backed Tlaib on the House floor yesterday. Watch this. My city, my grandmother, like all Palestinians, 
just wants to live her life with freedom and human dignity we all deserve. Time has expired. The movement will continue for liberation until every single Palestinian has the right to live in liberty. Racism and sexism, Islamophobia, get pushed off of elevators, xenophobia and more right here in this workplace. Todd, how do these women not understand that this was an unprovoked attack on Israel and the Hamas terrorists are now holding 240 hostages? How do they just go on this rampage and ignore all of that? Well, that, of course, is the main takeaway. And so you look at their their viewpoint and you don't understand how they can have that viewpoint. But it goes beyond that. As Members of Congress, you have a responsibility, not just to your constituents and not just to what you feel in your heart, but you cannot say things that call into question the United States Congress, the United States government that make our jobs more difficult on the foreign policy stage. Mm. You have to understand that when you take that that job. Yes, we can ha- sit around here on this table and really express our opinions, but that's our job. When you're a congressperson, you have an obligation to your country, and they are not taking that obligation seriously by saying things like Trump would put us in concentration camps. You heard Cory Bush. People are pushing us off of elevators. You can't say that. You can say, I am pro-Palestine, pro-Palestinian, and we can disagree with that. But you can't say the things that they're saying. Well, which I think gets to what's really going on. This becomes an excuse, an opportunity for them to push an agenda. It's not that they care so much about Palestine. It's that, oh, here is an issue that will galvanize us. And if we take a certain viewpoint, we can sound as though we're being righteous. They're not being righteous. But they're trying to manipulate it to make it sound but as they, they are. But they actually believe these stance that yeah, they're I putting they out there. And, you know, good for this freshman congressman out of Georgia, Rich McCormick, who led the censure. I think also props to Anna Paulina Luna, the freshman uh, congresswoman who led the censure early, earlier this year of Adam Schiff. Yeah. It gave... Uh, Republicans really a lot of courage to pursue these kinds of censures. I also want to know if the rest of the Hamas caucus is next. Ilhan Omar, AOC, Cori Bush, they've all had this kind of inflammatory language on the House floor and elsewhere. Are censures of them next? Well, part part of the issue, I think, is the White House and the fact that, you know, they're coming up and feeding this with their group to put an end to what they call as Islamophobia. I mean, the Jewish community is, is scared across the country. Under we're, attack. We're not yeah. seeing this kind of attack. We haven't seen this kind of attack since Nazi Germany. And it's, uh, it's very troubling that we're not hearing more about this from the White House. And, and, and when asked about it, they say, oh, yeah, we're coming out with a group to, to counter Islamophobia. And, and, and just worse, say it in, worse, in your face. Worse, from the White House and from former President Barack Obama engaging in this kind of disgusting moral equivalence right. between Hamas and the Israelis who are trying to defend themselves of, after this incredible loss of innocent life, it is disgusting. Yeah, and, and it's political. How do you? Highly. It, it's terrible. Well, I think that is falling in the Republicans' lap. I mean, look, obviously we saw the results last night. We're going to get into it. Abortion is not working for the Republicans. They need to figure out their messaging. Get but, out of my uterus. Exactly. Republicans I, need to figure it out. But when it comes to this, 
Biden and Obama to a lesser degree, but mostly Biden has put himself in a really untenable position. You can't lose liberal Jews and win an election in the major cities. That's exactly what he's doing. He's also potentially losing the Muslim vote in places like Michigan. So he is on his heels, or whoever the nominee is going to be for the Democrats is on their heels. Republicans need to take advantage of this. The question is, will they? And if Republicans ultimately get in, they need to be crystal clear to the discussion of the panel's point. We stand firmly behind Israel, they're allowed to fight their war the way they want to fight their war because nobody told us how to fight after 9-11. Well, this, this war has divided uh, liberals, I think. I, I think there are liberals now who are questioning this White House, questioning what they've been supporting given this pushback against uh, anti-Semitism and, and, and the fact that they're not doing anything about it. What do you think? Yeah, well, there is a civil war going on in the Democrat Party yeah. from the radicals and then from whatever is left of, of sort of the mainstream in the Democratic Party, but the radicals are driving the bus. And so you're seeing a hemorrhaging of support of Joe Biden, to your point, Todd, among uh, African-Americans, among the Muslim community, and voters under the age of 30. Now, all for the wrong reasons, because they are supporting Hamas and this kind of radical, rabid anti-Semitism, which is really revolting, but he is hemorrhaging support. And mm. the, the Democrats see this, and they have no way, at least as far as I've seen, to try to control the most radical elements in their party. Those, those three members of the squad that are Muslims themselves and so radicalized, they just don't understand or they refuse to accept what they've understood just because it disagrees with what they think. They don't understand all of the work members, every member of Congress, the House, the Senate, every member, Every one of them are working for the American people, not for the individuals that go from these various districts in these various states. They don't just represent those people. They represent those voters that vote them in regarding everything to do with governing the United States of America. You can't expect people to swallow your thinking when your thinking's premise, foundation of what you think about all this, is that Israel and every Israeli must be exterminated from the planet. And in the radical Islamist religious or anti-religious vein of operating in the world, that's a prerequisite that you've got to have. You can't be a loyal Muslim unless you go against, you feel strongly against Israel and what it stands for. And these three, there are more. You do realize that vote. Did you get the real number there? 234 voted to expel Rashida Tlaib. But you know what that means? 188 other members of Congress felt like, what she said, what she did was okay. That should scare you to death. The United States Congress, House of Representatives, almost half of those people that serve America and Americans thought what she had been saying is okay. From the river to the sea, you've heard the so-called um, 
I, I don't even know the correct term. I don't want to offend anybody. But these people that are out on the street screaming and hollering, doing the banners and all that kind of stuff, they're all saying that from the river to the sea. You know what that's referencing? The Jordan River is on the east side of Israel, right at the edge of the West Bank. And the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, is on the opposite side of the nation of Israel. The chant from the river to the sea is dispel every Israeli in that entire country. Get rid of them. They don't care where they go. They'd like to see them all dead and buried, they being the Hamas sycophants. And I can't see the hearts of these three that we're talking about here. But they obviously don't like Israelis and don't want them in any place on the planet, which means kill them all, exterminate them. 22 Democrats voted with 212 Republicans to censor to leave. I can't believe only 22 did that. That too should scare you to death. Here's what she said, something else she said. Quote, I spent all weekend in Michigan. She represents a district in Michigan. I spent all weekend in Michigan talking to all communities about the meaning of this phrase, and there are really strong feelings on all sides. I choose not to use the phrase. Now, this is another member of the House, Debbie Dingell. I choose not to use the phrase that is offensive to some and perceived as a threat. From the river to the sea, it's little more than an aspirational call for freedom, for human rights and peaceful coexistence, not death, destruction, or hate. That's what Tlaib claimed in a November 3rd tweet. From the river to the sea, it's considered a catch-all phrase for Palestinian control over all of the Israeli borders. Now, that's according to the American Jewish Committee which noted that Hamas and the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, called the PFLP, have used the fraid for exterminating Israelis, calling for the elimination of the Jewish state, praising Hamas or other entities who call for Israel's destruction, or suggesting that the Jews alone do not have the right to self-determination. It's anti-Semitic, and that's confirmed by the American Jewish committee. Interesting, isn't it? It's hard to believe that this nation is so splintered and torn apart like it is. Wow. We could go all day for that, but we're not going to go all day for that. In fact, we're pretty much going to wrap it up right there. You, you have your own feelings. I have mine. I I'm a fundamental Christian. I believe Israel is God's chosen people. He's always protected them. He has helped them be the only Jewish nation on the planet and to survive, even though approximately 6 million Jews were killed, slaughtered in World War II by Hitler and his henchmen. Six million. You know, there are only nine million today, nine million Jews in Israel. And there's no other Israeli country on earth. It's a very small faction. 
and I gave you the numbers yesterday. Kamala Harris, vice president, was bragging, got up and made a big public appearance to tell everybody that the Biden administration has created an entity to go after all of those that are caught up in violence because of their Islamophobia or people that don't like Islam or the Muslim faith or whatever. You can lump it all in together. She was bragging about it. You know what the facts? Now, this is the president of the United States vice president. They're supposed to collude on everything and be like-minded on everything political, right? Of course, Joe has changed his opinion and what he has been saying since the slaughter that happened, not by Israel, but by radical Hamas thugs slaughtering 1,400 innocent Israelis in the middle of the night, Saturday overnight, October 7th. Put that in the context of what Kamala Harris announced yesterday. Now, what's the big deal, Dan? According to FBI statistics, all the violence, religious violence, all of that, in the United States last year, less than 1% of the hate crimes were committed because of Islamophobia. Less than 1%. Now, where do the Jews fall into that? Well, the Jewish population in the United States is right about 2%. 2% population. Anti-Semitic violence. And anti-Semitic violence in the last couple of years includes multiple murders of Jewish people and all other kinds of grievous crimes. 2% of the American population of all of the hate crimes, federal hate crimes, classified as hate crimes, 65% of those were anti-Semitic. In other words, going after Jewish people just because of their skin color? No, because of their nation of origin? No, lots of Americans born and raised as Jews. Because they're Jews not because of one thing they have done. That, my friends, is the epitome of any of the phobias thrown in a paper bag, all of them combined together. And it's no big deal to these people in Congress. These are the people that run our government. These are the people that craft and pass our laws. And these are also the ones that get up on the stump every day to go after and support another heinous it, whatever that turns out to be. And every one of those that they do, to do it, they don't consider their being successful unless they take it all the way. For those that disagree with their philosophies, you don't deserve the right to breathe just because you disagree with them. They don't want liberty and justice for all. They don't want equality. They don't even want equity. They want total unilateral control over anyone and everyone who lives and breathes, not just in the United States, but around the world. Does that sound like the A word to you? Authoritarian? 
an authoritarian rule in whatever government you're speaking of, even if it's the United States or Great Britain or even China. If your leadership is classified as authoritarian, that means only a very small group of people have any power, period. They control everything. They control every institution, every segment of their government, and every part of the lives of the citizens in that nation. That's exactly what Rashida Tlaib and her minions think should happen regarding the Israeli people. Let's move on. We have a new solution, brand new solution, that's going to take care of all of our migrant population, our issues in cities around the nation. The Biden administration came up with the answer. What would the answer be? Department of Transportation Secretary. Who is that? Do you remember? Heard him lately? (laughs) Pete Buttigieg. House Republicans are urging Joe Biden's Department of Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, they want the government to say, no, he's got plans that would see United States airports transformed into migrant camps for tens of thousands of illegal aliens. I can't even believe this would be even considered. A total of 70 House Republicans led by House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee Chairman Sam Graves, are asking Buttigieg to drop his plans in which the DHS, our favorite department in Biden's administration, Department of Homeland Security, that's where this plan is coming from. Alejandro Mayorkas, secretary, has proposed housing 60,000 migrants at four public airports and various other facilities and New York and New Jersey. Here's what they said, these House Republicans. These airports and their communities rightfully fear being transformed into larger versions of Chicago Hare International, which has reportedly converted portions of its terminal into a shelter for hundreds of migrants. At a time when the administration is proposing higher screening requirements on known airline crew members due to security risk, We're extremely concerned about the lack of regard for security risks posed by housing thousands of unknown persons at airports, many of which support passenger air service and host sensitive military facilities. A Breitbart report back in September said the sanctuary city of Chicago started housing more than 400 border crossers and other illegal aliens on the O'Hare International Airport in what a reporter called a scene from the dystopian film Mad Max. The House Republicans, they include House Republican Conference Chairwoman Elise Stefanik from New York, House Aviation Subcommittee Chairman Garrett Graves of Louisiana, Anthony Desposito, a Republican from New York. They all tell Buttigieg they are deeply disturbed that the Biden administration is allowing and encouraging the use of our nation's airport infrastructure for temporary shelters for illegal immigrants. We adamantly oppose those ill-conceived plans that blatantly ignore the true crisis at hand and would inappropriately utilize America's infrastructure. When I heard this story last night, I just went crazy. I can't even imagine 
how demented one would have to be to think doing this is okay. But if you put it in the daisy chain of what Joe Biden's not doing, like enforcing the federal laws regarding every piece of the immigration process and turning his back on it and therefore committing federal law violations every time one illegal steps into our country illegally. That should stop this whole thing, but put it in the perspective of what we're hearing. We open the show talking about Tlaib and her being censured in the House and why it's because of hatred, animus, despising other human beings. These are the arbiters of stamp out racism, stamp out anti-Semitism. Well, they are not the anti-Semitism. They're not putting that out there. But you know what I'm referencing. We're supposed to be a country that is the melting pot of the world. Anybody can come here. Have you ever been to the Statue of Liberty? Have you read what's on the base of it? From the very beginning of this nation, we were telling the world, send them all over here. We're going to accept them all. Of course, the inference is that we're going to accept them to live here and work here within our laws, and we'll take them all in if they do that. But then somebody has to bastardize the whole process and think it's okay because they need to create a permanent Democrat Party voting class. And the only way they can do it, they can't do it without bringing people from other countries in because Americans, we live through good times and bad times based upon who's in power politically here. And oh my gosh, we all live through four years of Donald Trump. Forget about the social stuff out there. That's all opinionated. Go check your bank balances for every month starting in 2016 all the way in through the end of or the middle of 2020 when Joe Biden was inaugurated. Look at the difference compared to what you're dealing with today. I want to live back there. I want the same policies. I want the same laws, the same law enforcement. I want the same foreign policies. I want the same military policies. I want every one of those to be put back in place. You know why? Life was so much better for every American then on every level. Unless you were a Democrat politician and then you had to toe the party line and just damn Donald Trump and all those that were part of his administration simply because they made you look like crap. And they did a good job just by giving us and letting us and showing us how to live honestly and truthfully and believe and enforce the rule of law in our nation. Why wouldn't we want to go back there? (laughs) Come on now. Tucker Carlson, one of my favorite guys. I really miss him at Fox News, but I always know I can go flip over and hear his latest at Twitter. He um, he gave some answers. He got Glenn Greenwald on his um, X show yesterday. And they analyzed how Democrats are feeling about what's coming up in 2024. This is pretty incredible. Those two guys up next. 
Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a Bud. You've earned it. Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Great shadow legends. I mean, wow. <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian. They're spooky. They're um, um, big. And then you go to battle. And it's like, and finally, your foe is vanquished. And that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh. Download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Hi, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, uh, can I get a... Uh, 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 go, Bubba, go! Uh, Hey, can I get a... Uh, Ten-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. Thank you again for joining us here today and every day that you're able to be here live. 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time at TNN Live. Hey, Tucker's going to come in himself. You're going to hear from him later in our second hour today. But yesterday, he and Glenn Greenwald got together and they talked about how Democrats are petrified of a 2024 potential victory for Donald Trump, in part because Americans have lost faith and trust in institutions. Now, why would uh, Americans vote for anybody else than the best person running? Nobody wants to talk about that. But that's the reason Americans vote for whoever they want to vote for. It's because they think that person will do the best job in whatever the job niche is in that they're running to be part of. Greenwald joined Carlson on Tucker on Twitter, and they broke down the turn that corporate media has been taking lately. I'm sure you've seen it as I have. They're kind of going away from Joe Biden. And before too long, I can say this, I fully expect for even mainstream media to say, Joe, enough's enough. You got to go. Don't run. Greenwald stated he thinks the media is turning because of the support that Trump has been getting since announcing his run for 2024. Here's what Greenwald said. I think what they're trying to do is put pressure on the Democrats and Biden to say, look, you're, this is serious now. Like it doesn't seem like you have any chance of winning. And they, according to Greenwald, are thinking that 
putting forth the last-ditch hope to try and convince Biden to step aside and the Democrats to force him to go. Of course, the media is completely petrified at the idea that Trump would win, even though part of them knows it'll help their careers like it did the first time around, but they really are scared of Donald Trump himself. They view Trump as this ultimate menace. So since Trump announced his run for 2024, he's received significant support, even amid four indictments that total 91 criminal charges. Recent polling numbers in a hypothetical race between the pair, Biden and Trump, have the four former Republican president, have the former Republican president leading by two to eight points. Several different polls substantiate that. And I think those horrified tones are about the fact, two things. One, there's obviously a good chance Trump's going to win, and they can't understand that. And I think that's the other thing. All they've been saying for six years is that Trump is a white nationalist, that Trump is a racist, that Trump hates all minorities. And here you have increased numbers of non-white voters during the exact opposite of what you would expect them to do if they trusted or believed what those Democrats have been preaching about Trump. Biden's lost a lot of support, and particularly among minority voters. Now, why would that be? What has changed? I mean, any Democrat that is running for president, as Joe Biden said on that New York radio show, If you can't figure out why to vote for me, you ain't black. That's about as racist a statement as anybody gets, but he doesn't consider that. Many voters in a Monmouth University poll from September, they see Biden's age as an issue. They found 76% of the voters told Monmouth University they view Biden as too old. Only 48% found Trump's age an issue. And that's because of the way they both, each of them, relate in public. People aren't stupid. We don't need somebody to point at somebody and say, this guy's got trouble. He's got problems, mental, physical, or whatever. We all see what is really there, don't we? Biden's support from Latino, Black, and Asian voters dropped from 63%, almost 20%. In July alone, The drop in support could be a concern to Biden as 70% of his supporters in the 2020 election, 70% of them, were from non-white voters. Now, that's according to the New York Times. Namely, they're voting for Trump, the racist white nationalist candidate, because he wants to put them all in camps. And that's what they're saying out there. Biden wants to put them all in management camps. And so if you're an employee of these media outlets and you look at the polling numbers, you realize these people have tuned you out. They don't care what you say anymore. They don't trust what you say anymore. They have completely lost any control or influence over how Americans reason. Because most Americans are smart enough to have come to the conclusion that these people you just showed in the media outlets for which they work as absolute liars. They're just propagandists and people who exist to deceive. That's the good news that these institutions where people have lost faith 
They deserve to have lost their faith and trust. They deserve the contempt and hatred they provoked. And it's good that Americans are seeing that, recognizing that. And it's good that these people there, even though they'll never question whether they're to blame, are also starting to see that nothing they say really matters anymore and doesn't make a difference any longer. Trump also recently gained significant support in five out of those six key swing states. Democrats have started to voice their growing concerns with the Biden campaign, questioning the White House's messaging to voters, especially when it comes to topics like the economy. Even Serpent Head, that Hillary and Bill Clinton sycophant from Baton Rouge, that's his nickname, his wife gave him Serpent Head. He famously said back in Bill's re-election campaign when people were trying to point to all of the wrongdoing, the White House shenanigans with that, um, that worker in the White House, all of those were trying to make that number one. Serpent Head very loudly proclaimed in an interview, it's about the money. It's about the money. In other words, how are voters doing financially? That's how Republicans, that's how other conservatives vote. It doesn't matter how shiny the nickel or the quarter or the penny is that you find laying on the sidewalk. It's what you're going to be able to do when you put that nickel, penny, or dime in power or that Republican or Democrat in power. What are they going to do? Forget about what they're promising. Look in their rearview mirrors and see what they did the last time they were in power. Who in their right mind would look at 2024 in November? That's just barely a year away from now. That's when we'll elect a new president and all the other federal officers that come up for voting every two or four years. Look at what it is then compared to what it is now. Do you think it's going to get better in any way between here and there? There's no possibility it would get better. We're sliding down a very slippery hill towards total disaster in the United States. Everything this administration and the Democrat leaders in Congress, everything they touch turns to C-R-A-P. None of it works. And the American people are paying for every part of it. I read a story last night. A Democrat governor signed a bill giving him the authority to close the last four coal plants in that part of the United States. And they're laughing and clapping and so proud they're going to do it. While the green new energy deal is crumbling And even the people that crafted it and put it in place across the border are saying now, whoa, wait a minute. There are a lot of unanswered questions here. We don't have extension cords long enough to run these electric cars and trucks and trains across the nation. How are we going to fly jets from L.A. to Honolulu? It doesn't work. And yet they continue pushing down the same road, doing the same things, saying the same things over and over and over. 
Let's switch gears. We could stay on this economy thing. We could stay on politics all day. Let's get down where the rubber meets the road. A group of students on Monday staged a walkout on their school's campus, and they walked out to protest the school's transgender bathroom policy that has frustrated a lot of people, most of the people in this community of Elida, Ohio. School policy now allows transgender students to use the bathroom, here we go again, matches their chosen identity, their gender identity, not their gender identity, but their chosen gender identity. Community members have reportedly voiced their disagreement for more than months, maybe even a year plus, and they want the school board to reverse the policy. One image shows the students participating in the demonstration as they marched out of class. Meanwhile, student Charisma Ackroyd told hometown stations there have been several accounts of boys coming in the bathroom, transgender girls bothering the girls in the bathrooms. We're just not for it. Biological boys need to stay in their own bathroom. Why can't we just deal with the obvious? Why do we have to look at all these things and say, hey, 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 that looks like something new and novel. Why don't we try this? Oh, we know the biology doesn't work. We know the social problems that it'll come up with. But let's just throw that out there and see if we can weaponize against uh, Donald Trump and every conservative. These students were warned they would get detention for failing to go back to class after the demonstration, but they reportedly were given passes and ordered back to class. The article from LimaOhio.com said, Board President Brenda Stocker, who faces re-election, said the policy keeps Elida schools in compliance with federal case law established by the U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Violating case laws puts the district at risk of a lawsuit that we would certainly lose, she said, during a candidate forum back in October. Three of six board members have vowed to adopt updated rules that only allow students to use the restroom of their biological sex or a single-use bathroom. Students at Elida walked out today because the bathroom policy. Way to go, kiddos. One social media user wrote that. These students are so brave. From that same newspaper recently, a statement said school board candidate Jeff Point, we can have a lawsuit from a transgender student or we can have lawsuits from Christian parents who have had enough of their child having to hold their bowels and not to go to the restroom because they're afraid of what they're going to see when they go into the restroom and or what might happen to them. A similar thing happened yesterday when a group of students in Loudoun County, Virginia, staged a walkout to protest the school district's transgender policies. You know, Loudoun County, that's the same place we had the uproar over two years ago that started this whole thing in schools. And guess what Loudoun County did? After all of that uproar, those two girls going to different schools were sexually assaulted by a so-called trans in the bathroom, a guy that just self-identified so he could integrate with girls in bathrooms and attack them and assault them sexually. 
they went back and adopted those same policies again, did that school board in Loudoun County. Learned a long time ago a simple fact, and I can say it over and over again, and it means the same thing every time I say it. I don't even remember who said it first to me a long time ago. You can't fix stupid. You cannot fix stupid. I'm a fundamental Christian. If you've been around this show very long, you know that. I believe in God. I believe Jesus is God's son. I believe Jesus was a savior. He came as a, as a human to earth, lived here for 33 years. I believe he was crucified and died, and he was raised from the dead three days later. I believe that. No exceptions. Why do I believe it? I choose to believe it. Now, does that make everything I I uh, believe? Does it make it automatically so just because I believe it? No, it doesn't. But I've tried. I've tested. I've found out everything in Christianity, everything without exception, is good. I started to challenge anybody <laughs> to go to come on the air here and let's debate that. But I, I, I don't want to go down that. I, I believe what I believe because of my personal experiences. And by the way, you should too. But just because you think something's right doesn't make it right. Same holds true for me. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. Work out your own salvation in prayer, prayer, prayer. Work it out. I'm saying that to say this. We make our choices. Be they good or bad, we make them. When I was young, I mean really young, 10, 12, 14, 15, all the way through going up, I lived in an environment where I was held responsible for the choices I made good, bad, or ugly. The consequences were there. And one thing I learned very young was the reap and sow principle. Genesis 8.20. I'm not going to get deep into it, but God promised Noah after the flood, he would never flood the earth again. But then he added a couple more promises. As long as the earth exists, there will always be light and dark, there will always be hot and cold. There will always be summer and winter. And there will always be reap and sow. Now, of those four things God promised, only one of those do we, the people, have any power to impact. God handles all the light and dark. He handles all the hot and cold. He handles the seasons, regardless of what the climate fanatics think. The one thing that you and I not only can be responsible for, we are responsible for it, is reap and sow. Now, you've got to sow before you reap. It just sounds better when you say the R word before the S word, reap and sow. Sowing is putting seed in the ground. Specifically, in this case, talking about the seed that we plant in the ground, in our lives, planting in our kids' lives, in our other relations, our people at work, we plant seeds. And because of God initiating this process, guess what happens? Every time you put seed in the ground, something's going to grow. If it's bad seed, 
it's going to grow up as bad products of bad seed. If it's good, you're going to reap good things. The insanity of this America in which you and I live in today is simply this. Every day, we're out there sowing watermelon seeds and we're praying for God to give us peaches. Whatever you plant is what you're going to get. That is a fundamental of Mother Nature, God, Creator, and Lord of my life. It's a promise, and I call God out on that. I plant good seed, and His promise to me is that that good seed is going to grow up, and it's going to be bigger and better when it comes out. I stick to that. Try that. Why don't you test God for, say, 30 days? and purposely plant. Talking with you, not at you. Intelligent Conversation. TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive, yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Well, I've got a hard decision to make, and you probably do yourself. Tonight, we have the third Republican presidential face-off debate. And so, I'm thinking, I haven't watched the first two, any of the first two. I found out, of course, what were in those first two, and who said what? Because of mainstream media, they're trying to sell every one of us off of any Republican because they want their guy or girl, whoever the case would be, to win, and they want to paint all of those Democrats that are considering, and I said all of it facetiously because there's only one, only one. I'm Joe Biden. He's it. They chased Robert F. Kennedy Jr. out of the race because they were, they said very plainly, we're not going to have any debates. (laughs) Okay. How do people find out what candidates think? It's all fixed. I mean, everything going on around us is fixed. And that's not a conspiracy theory. 
if you look at anything happening in America and United States related around the globe that's going bad, look at it. Somehow, we have planted seed. Our leaders have made choices and decisions, and it's all growing back up just like it was planted to be. Look at the debacle at the southern border. Do you have any idea how much lawlessness has erupted across this nation just because of having open borders? Let me give you an example. This will probably blow your mind because very few people think about it this way. How would you feel about anybody that was running for president that personally over the previous year, while they were campaigning for the, the office of presidency, the job that they were in, they just decided not to do it. Maybe it's a, a heart surgeon or it's a doctor over a big facility and 100,000 people died the previous year. The year before this person decided to announce a bid for president. On his or her watch, 100,000 Americans died because of what he did or didn't do in his job, whatever the job would be. Would you vote for that person? Heck no. Nobody would be that stupid. What kind of leader would allow that to happen? Did you know the guy in the White House right now did that? That very thing, he did it last year, the year before, and he's on the way of doing it again right now. Joe Biden, you know how he's personally responsible for the deaths of 100,000 Americans every year? Because he opened up the southern border and fentanyl's flooding across the southern border, and it's ending up in the mouths and the bellies of 100,000 people plus It's way more than 100,000 that are taking advantage of those illegal fentanyl drugs. Only 100,000 of them are dying, but it's because Joe Biden will not enforce the rule of law. So, did you hear Joe Biden tell us when he ran for president in the 2020 election? Hey, I'm going to make darn sure that 100,000 young Americans die because We're going to let those taskmasters from down in Mexico bring up all that fentanyl. We're going to make sure 100,000 people get enough to die. That may sound insane, but that's factual. So why did you bring that up regarding this debate? He's not going to debate anybody, and he certainly wouldn't be at this one. He'll let everybody know what he thinks about this debate tonight. They all will. So here. I'm going to challenge one of you. I don't care who it is. I'm not going to watch the debate. On this show tomorrow, I want you to call in on this show. You need to tell me who it is going to be now. But in the bottom of the first hour tomorrow, I'm going to let you come on and tell all of us exactly what happened in this debate tonight. Donald Trump, by the way, is skipping this one. His third presidential face-off. I don't think he should debate. Why should he? He's got a past, good, bad, and ugly. We all see it. We all know it. But if you want to participate in this, let me hear from you. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. 
Now, you hear me on the phone every week with people like Steve Baker and Congressman Mike Johnson. I'm not mean. I'm not ugly. I'm not going to watch it, so I can't reply to you when you draw a, comp- uh, a conclusion that you drew and you tell us about tomorrow in the show. I won't. I want you to tell me your feelings, your thoughts about what you see and hear in that debate tonight. Now, it's going to air on NBC News. I don't even know what channel on my television (laughs) is NBC News. I'm serious. I don't. Ron DeSantis, here's up. Who's who's up tonight? Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Tim Scott, and Chris Christie. Those are the ones that fulfill the obligations, the responsibilities to be able to bait this one. Who's going to, who who are going to be asking the questions? Let me see if that's in this story. Uh, Nope. Doesn't say in this one. No, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't pull down enough. Co-hosting the event are NBC News, Salem Radio Network, the Republican Jewish Coalition, and Rumble. They have a trio of moderators. NBC's Lester Holt, gag. NBC's Kristen Welker, don't know her, and conservative radio host Hugh Hewitt of Salem Radio Network. I like Hugh. I like him. He's a conservative, but he plays it kind of right down the middle. As usual, the Republican National Committee is sanctioning the debate and has set the rules for qualification, as well as serving as the entity that determines which candidates have met their required thresholds. The room that's hosting it has a capacity of about 2,000 seated guests. I wonder how you get in for that. That would be an interesting thing to go see live. I couldn't keep my mouth shut if I was there, though. Those who are able to go to the debate in person are usually invited guests of the candidates and the hosting networks, as well as pundits, staff, allies, and family and friends of the candidates. We're looking forward to our third debate in Miami, a welcome opportunity for our candidates to showcase our winning conservative agenda to the American people. That's RNC Chairwoman Ronald McDonald. uh, McDaniels said in a statement when announcing the qualifiers and she added we are especially honored to be the first political party to partner with a Jewish organization for a debate in our partnership with the Republican Jewish coalition and our candidates will reaffirm the Republican party's unwavering support of Israel and the Jewish community on the stage Wednesday night so let me know Dan at truthnewsnet.org, Dan at truthnewsnet.org. And you might want to jot down your phone number there. Nobody sees it but me. And uh, we'll connect. And then I'm not going to try to coach anybody on how to say it, what to say, what not to say. This is not, this show is not under the auspices of the Federal Communications Commission, at least not right now. They're trying to make it that way, but that's another story for another day. In other words, you can say anything. Literally. We've got a story that we're going to publish later this week written by Roger Stone. You remember Roger? He was one of Donald Trump's big buddies. He was the first one that he got got arrested by the FBI, and it was one of those before sunrise in the morning helicopters, 
SWAT units storm his house in the middle of the darkness, and CNN had somehow found out it was going to be there, and they were there with all their cameras and all that. You remember that when that happened? He went to prison. He got out of prison. And after he did, he came on the show. He did an hour and 45 minutes on this show with me. And he was the first and thankfully the only person that has ever used the F word. And he used it more than once (laughs) during that show. We didn't get in trouble for it. I got embarrassed for him doing it. All that being said, I'm not looking for anything but your senses and your feelings about what you watch in that debate tonight. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. What else is happening that's important? I told you we've got Tucker, Tucker Carlson coming up again. I want you to hear from, from Tucker. We've got another break that we're going to take. I tell you what, let's do this. Let's go to break. Coming out of the break, Tucker Carlson will be here with us. Mr. Rippermorph? Yes, Dorothy? A reporter and crew from New Center 7 Wastebusters are here to see you, sir. New Center 7? Wastebusters. They expose mind-boggling waste of taxpayers' money right here in the Miami Valley. What do they want with me? They said you sold the government a ballpoint pen, sir. So? For $1,000. Well, it came with refills. And a jar of paper clips for $2,000. They were multicolored paper clips. Uh-huh. Red ones, blue ones. What should I tell the Wastebusters, sir? Do they have lights and cameras? And the ballpoint pen, sir. Tell them I went out my window down the fire escape and then booked down the street screaming like a madman. I don't think they'll believe that, sir. Mr. Rippemoff? Watch News Center 7 expose government waste right here in the Miami Valley and see the Waste Busters in action. You can't escape them, sir. They're the Waste Busters. News Center 7 Waste Busters. Weeknights at 6. Coverage you can count on. They'll find him. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Sorry. Here we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko, so... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... (laughs) Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. For over 70... (laughs) What are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. I guess that's a unique way to term what we're dealing with, a tsunami of ignorance. And of course, everybody that's not like-minded, that doesn't think like you and me, they would say the same thing. They're pushing back against a tsunami of ignorance. That would be uh, you and me. So everybody's got an opinion, right? We heard a little bit. I did that story, repeated that story uh, early in the show that Tucker had to say. He's warning you and me 
warning us again. He's done it a couple of times. Now, I don't think he's a seer. And if you are anywhere involved in any of any kind of mysticism or even forethought thinking dreams are true, foretelling things, if you're in that, you know what I'm referencing when I say a seer, somebody that actually sees events that are coming down the pike. And there are people like that. And that's not a good or bad thing. I'm just saying it's real. It happens. I don't know if Tucker falls in that. But he seems to knock home runs on everything he tells us to look for, to be concerned about, to prepare for. And Tucker's doing that exact thing now. Politics is never the most important thing. The people around you are. Your family, your friends, your dogs. That's where joy comes from, not from elections. But still, politics do matter. They're not irrelevant. Nancy Pelosi's babblings do have an effect on your life. So what defined the politics? Well, lying did. This was the year of lying. The people in charge tell an awful lot of lies. That's what we learned. And we know this for sure because while they are avid and committed liars, they're not very good at it. Their lies are amateurish, obvious, pathetic, sad. And there's something kind of insulting about that. Don't take a leak on my boots and tell me it's raining, goes the old cowboy phrase. Don't tell me something we both know isn't true and expect me to believe it. When you do that, you assault my dignity. You diminish me. You treat me like a child. If you're going to tell me a lie, put some effort into it. Try something clever. Have pride of craftsmanship. Don't pull the same old dusty alibi off the shelf like a jar of expired spaghetti sauce and expect me to fall for it again. Oh, we can't tell you that, Mr. and Mrs. America. It's a matter of grave national security, but don't worry. Everything's totally fine. We're doing a great job. At this point, no living American still believes them and none should. But they keep doing it anyway. Clearly, they think we have brain damage. It's frustrating to watch. But today, we've decided to be amused by it. That seemed like the more positive option, maybe the most positive available under the circumstances. So here, ladies and gentlemen, are our favorite lies. And honestly, that's also the pleasure in watching the Sam Bankman-Fried saga unfold. Bankman-Fried was this weird, pudgy kid in a t-shirt who played video games during interviews, took a ton of pills, and could never quite explain the business model of his, quote, crypto exchange. (laughs) I mean, literally, From the first day, this guy was an utterly transparent scam artist. Your golden retriever could have smelled the fraud on this guy. It was that redolent. He stunk of it. But somehow the geniuses, the financial wizards at CNBC had no idea. They fell in love with Sam Bankman-Fried. They wanted to be Sam Bankman-Fried. They told us Sam Bankman-Fried was the new JP Morgan. These people are ridiculous. And that's the real lesson of Sam Bankman-Fried. And we're going to enjoy every second of it. Now, it's a little harder to enjoy what's happening to the rest of the economy, inflation especially. Inflation is one of those economic phenomena you don't need to be an MIT professor to identify. Has the price of things you buy every week gone up a lot? Oh, it has? Okay, you've got inflation. Inflation is demonstrable. Anyone who claims otherwise is lying. And everybody knows that. And that's why even most politicians, people who will lie about anything, don't bother to lie about inflation. It's just too easy to catch them. But some still persist in lying about it. They just enjoy the experience of lying. It makes them feel alive. Take a look at these numbers, folks. Inflation is skyrocketing and your hard-earned money is losing its value faster than ever before. 
gas prices are through the roof, grocery bills are climbing, and housing costs are becoming unaffordable for millions of Americans. Yet, some politicians want you to believe that this is just a temporary blip, a minor inconvenience. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's not. It's a crisis and it's hurting American families. You've heard them say it, right? Inflation is transitory, they claim. It's just a natural consequence of a recovering economy. But that's not the whole truth. The policies implemented by our politicians are directly contributing to this inflationary nightmare. Massive government spending, unchecked monetary stimulus, and reckless fiscal policies have created the perfect storm for rising prices. And who suffers the most? Average Americans like you. I've talked to people all across this country and they're worried. They're worried about how they're going to afford basic necessities, how they're going to provide for their families, and how they're going to plan for the future. And what do our politicians do? They downplay the situation, pretend like everything's fine, and continue pushing their agenda without addressing the real concerns of the American people. It's time for honesty, America. It's time for our elected officials to stop lying to us and start taking responsibility for their actions. We need leaders who will make tough decisions, cut unnecessary spending, and prioritize the well-being of American citizens over partisan politics. We deserve better, and it's time to demand accountability from those who are supposed to represent us. So, the next time a politician tells you that inflation is transitory or not a big deal, remember this moment. Remember the truth. And let's work together to hold them accountable and ensure a better future for all Americans. There's the truth Tucker was sharing. Nothing good just happens. It all comes from doing the hard work, whatever the hard work is. Planning, preparing, being honest, if you don't have the right answers before you fall into something or jump into something big, do what it takes to find the answers and be confident what the good answer, the right answer is. Often, we create the biggest problems in our lives just by making poor choices. We don't think it through. We believe the wrong things. I guess the hardest thing in Marianne and my life together is raising three kids in the United States of America today. Now, granted, our kids are, the youngest is 40, and uh, they've grown through, and they did not live through much of the insanity that kids are living now and parents are having to deal with. That's a fact. But life back then, 20 years ago, carried the same kind of things. It may have been labeled different. It may have included different things, but at the time, they were just as stark, just as dramatic, and dealing with them was just as important as it is for today's generation. Why am I saying that? It doesn't take a brain surgeon to look around and see. We're $32 million in debt as a nation. Now, let me shock you. We owe way more than that, way more than thirty-two trillion dollars. Now, how do you figure that out, Dan? Do you know how much money is supposedly deposited in the Social Security Fund? Remember, you and I, if you have an employer and you get a paycheck, every paycheck, a certain percentage of your pay is held out of that check and your employer matches the amount that's held out of your check and your employer sends it to the Social Security Trust Fund, supposedly. That trust fund, that, by the way, 
is legally supposed to be there, but there's nothing in it because what's happened through the years, our governments, our government and the people that work in it have tapped into that treasure trove of American taxpayer dollars and they have dropped some promissory notes into that account that says, hey, we're taking this hundred billion out here and we're going to, when it's time and we need it, we're going to put it back in. That's exactly what's happened. So knowing that, that that is just a little part and it's not little and it's not unimportant, it's not insignificant. The opposite of those is actually the facts. When you spend more than you make, it never turns out to be good. Ever turns out to be good. Never, never, ever. At some point, something's going to snap. And right now, the 900-pound gorilla in the room that everybody's trying to forget is there. It's the fact that we have probably another $20 trillion of debt obligations that the government owes to us that have put that money in our Social Security account, trusting that the government is not only going to have it there when we need to draw it, but that because it's been sitting in an account, it's made more money. And therefore, there's more than you and I deposited in our Social Security account. That is a hopeless dream. It's not there. Now, will the government be able to follow through and pay to you getting the money from somewhere other than the Social Security Trust Fund? So far, they've been able to do it. But do you have confidence in this government being able to do what they're supposed to do? Because look what they didn't do. They didn't honor their commitments to us in the first place. And of course, you get into the politics of that. Every four years, Democrats who were the ones in a Democrat administration that created it and implemented, started Social Security, they're also the ones that were the first to figure out how to spend Social Security trust fund money. That just was a piggy bank to them. Do you think they give a rip about your Social Security money? Now, they'll all say they do, and granted, they should because they're the ones that are over it. They've done nothing to change it. No Congress has done anything to change it. I'll never forget when George W. Bush was in office he came up with a plan to partially privatize Social Security because of the same thing I just told you. He felt like the government had squandered away most of it and we needed to find a way to protect the people's money moving forward. And so his plan was to do a partial, allow people to take a piece of their Social Security withdrawal money You know that your employer takes out of your check that you could put it in a special money fund that would allow you to have some say-so about how that money is invested and help it to grow. He even went around the nation, small cities. He came to Shreveport, Louisiana, and he gave a speech on it. I went. I waited in line. I had to go through security. I wanted to make sure I was there. Now, this was, when was he in office? 1990? 
2000? 2000 he was in office. So that was 20 years ago, 20, 23 years ago. And he got so blasted by people, not everyday American citizens, by people that were in both the Democrat Party in leadership and his own party, the Republican Party leadership. They just let it drop. They could get no support, and it was because people in Congress were doing their best to hide the facts from the taxpayers that put this money up. Tucker Carlson just very plainly said, the biggest thing you and I need to face and do something about now is our inflation. We cannot continue to spend more money than the government brings in. And they all do it. They all do it. There is deficit spending out the wazoo. Raising taxes, supposed to bring it in. Joe Biden raises taxes. He was told through years of being in government, 50 years himself in government as a senator, vice president, and now president. He was told by the economists, the experts, taxing does not increase government revenue. It never has happened. It never will happen. Oh, that's a lie. We know that's a lie. They kept telling us over and over and over again. When Donald Trump implemented, with the help of Congress, the biggest tax relief in history on the American people, guess what happened? Government revenue, that's tax money coming from the consumers and their companies to the federal government, went through the roof. Never tax income like it was there. And the Democrats were screaming and hollering before it happened. We can't pay for those tax cuts. We're going to lose money. The Treasury's going to lose money. We won't have income to come in to take care of our obligations. But for the first time in a while, guess what? We did. We had the money and had more. Biden comes in, I'm going to increase government revenue. How? Because everybody's going to pay their fair share. I want 82,000 brand new IRS agents, and we're going to hire those to go after those evil, greedy American billionaires. The billionaires are the ones that are attacking the middle-class Americans. They're taking advantage of everything in the middle class or leaving behind or left behind. We're going to fix that. Raises taxes. Lo and behold, guess what we found out and reported two weeks ago here. Wasn't trumpeted over news media. $600 billion short this year of what was expected to come in in tax revenue to the U.S. government. Why would that happen? No tax exists in a vacuum. Somebody's got to pay the tax. That person had to work for somebody, and whoever they work for had to pay more taxes for the company that they work for. And then everybody had to go to the store and buy grocery. The grocer, every employee at that store, had to go buy and had less money to buy with. That's called inflation. It spirals out of control. And it impacts, economists will say, a dollar in payroll money turns over 10 times because whoever the employee is spends money with somebody, 
that person spends some of that money they just got from that employee and it goes down daisy chain 10 levels deep. The worst people on earth dealing with money are politicians because it's not their money, but they act like it is. So in the middle of all of this, the chaos, I don't believe there's a righteous Democrat out there that could, without holding their breath, saying Donald Trump would not do a good job, that Donald Trump did not do a good job. And the politicians are screaming that. Corrie Jean-Pierre, every day on the White House press room platform, she's screaming the goodness, the greatness, all of the good things that are going on under this administration. Well, then the obvious question. If Joe Biden's doing so much good, why are people running away from Joe Biden? And why are people running toward, in droves, the orange man? That evil, racist Donald Trump, his ratings continue to climb in the face of real facts. And they're not good facts right now. Our American economy is sucking and therefore so are you and I. Young people, while they've long soured on Biden, 71% think he's just too old. And then there's the Jewish vote. Usually at least 75% going to Democrats. Will they vote again for a party where a significant minority sides with the terrorist Hamas? A racial and generational coalition put Joe Biden into the Oval Office. It's falling apart. Trump's picking up the pieces. Despite all the court appearances and the frenzied, hysterical opposition in the media, he wins recent head-to-head matchups. He does. CBS News, Trump leads 51-48. The Messenger, 51-49. This shows how solid Trump's base is and that it is growing. The Democrats know it. They can't win with the Biden-Harris ticket. That's why the most important political story is going to be how they get them out and who takes their place. And we saw a glimpse of that last night on those state races around the United States. There weren't that many, but it looked like Democrats got a victory here and there. They took back the one house of Virginia that the Republicans controlled, and the Republicans were trying to keep that house, the House of Representatives, and then flip the Senate in Virginia so they could have a solid base with the Republican governor there. They could be able to implement more of the good things that he's been able, Glenn Youngkin has been able to implement as governor there. Well, not only did they not get the Senate, flip the Senate, they lost the House back. So now, Governor, Republican Governor of Virginia, he's got a tall hill to climb every day to get his agenda done. Something we don't talk about here very much, but it's the transgender movement. And I think the reason we don't talk about it much is because we don't understand the mentality that even allows it to happen and certainly don't understand how so many young people have gotten sucked into it. There are no good outcomes that come from it. We hear the horror stories. That big hospital up in the Northwest that specializes in doing transgender surgeries, I read you a report from that doctor out of that hospital. I read it per se, just as he reported it. And it was the nastiest, grossest things 
that he revealed that are part of the gender reassignment that is a huge, massive part of the transgender philosophy. Have you wondered, like I have for a long time, how did this ever get started? Where did it come from? And how did it so quickly become a mandatory part of quote-unquote health care, which is not health care. It's destruction of biological basis of people's lives is what it is. But where did this all start? Have you ever wondered that? The previous president wanted to ban us and probably put us in concentration camps. So if I have to show them in numbers. That, of course, Rashida Tlaib, and that, of course, was the wrong soundbite. We're talking about transgender-affirming sexual surgery is what we're talking about. Where did it come from? How did it get started? Pace of growth for, let's say, clinics uh, serving pediatric patients on, on gender issues. In fifteen last 15 years, we had zero down to over 100. Clinics. Clinics for kids. Why? The biggest single policy catalyst for this explosion is... Obamacare. Insurance companies were mandated to to provide coverage for what is deemed to be medically necessary gender-affirming care. And then an additional amendment to the Affordable Care Act was made. Gender identity could no longer be a basis for denial of coverage um, uh, by private insurance companies. The idea that this is connected to Obamacare is super interesting, and that there were then incentives, basically, for all of these clinics. I mean, he said we went from zero of these clinics in 2010 to over 100 of these clinics. More than 100. How many thousands of gender-affirming surgeries have been performed under the protection of Obamacare? Do you ever remember that being discussed when we were going through the creation of Obamacare? You remember all the nasty legislation that went back and forth? They were putting that bill together, revising it, bringing it back, revising it, and they passed it. And in a press conference about passing it, one of the media asked then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, do you know what's in the bill? And Pelosi, as she always did, she just smiled and looked at him and said, hey, we had to pass the bill before we could find out what was in the bill. Obamacare in healthcare, I don't care what anybody says, I've been in healthcare my entire career. I know it. I know it really well. I know the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the evil. It has been the biggest disaster on the American healthcare system. It dumbed it down and it spread it out so wide and is so sweeping inclusive that nobody can keep up with the methodology and the changing that has to happen. The bureaucracy of Obamacare is twice, if not triple, the bureaucracy as there is in Medicare. And Medicare, by the way, works pretty good compared to commercial and private insurance. It does. Obamacare, people will tell you this is what it says that have absolutely no idea if what they're saying is there, is even there, let alone if it's good or bad. You know who crafts all that crap? It's not people in the healthcare industry. It's not doctors. It's not surgeons. It's not 
psychologists and psychiatrists. It's bureaucrats in government. And they deal with the political perspective of everything in healthcare before they get into the medical part of it. They always have, they always will. It's all about power and it's all about money. Barack Obama, of all people, when he was president, he's the one that initiated the very creation of the massive push and shoving to get transgender surgery into our thoughts and lives and begin to sell it to the kids, the most innocent among us. And it doesn't work. That's the worst part of it. It doesn't work if the purpose that they stated is the reason for it is the reason for it. It doesn't work at all. In fact, it creates far more angst and panic and harm medically, psychologically, and obviously dollars and cents. And they did it under Obamacare. Again, what's the big deal about that? Federal government controls it. More power. More control. That's what it's all about. I want to circle back and look at a couple of things regarding this Israel situation, not the war. It's 1041. It's late in the evening over there in the Middle East. And I know they're pretty much going 24-7 over there, but we haven't heard any big, uh, big major events that have happened during the show we've been monitoring. But I want to, I want to visit some, some things that are happening over here because of what's going on over there. University of Pennsylvania. They have called the FBI and conducted safety sweeps. This is, this is UPenn, Ivy League school, really good college. They're calling in the FBI. They're doing safety sweeps at campus facilities. Why are they doing this? Several staff members received vile and or disturbing anti-Semitic emails that are threatening violence and death. In a letter sent on Monday afternoon, UPenn President Liz McGill told the campus community the university is working with the FBI to investigate those threatening emails, which included hateful language, targeting the personal identities of the recipients, doxing, in other words. They'll tell people's people's names, where they live, give them addresses. Although the safety sweeps at the university at the two buildings specifically named in those emails found no credible threat, police officers are going to remain on site until further notice. The campus police have also increased their presence across the Philadelphia campus. At a time when campuses across the country are being targeted with these types of threats, my first and highest priority is the safety and security of our community. That's Ms. McGill writing that, promising swift and forceful action against threats, any threats of violence. The perniciousness of anti-Semitic acts on our campus is causing deep hurt and fear for our Jewish students, our Jewish faculty and staff, and shaking their sense of safety and even belonging at University of Pennsylvania. This is intolerable. I condemn personally those vicious and hateful anti-Semitic acts and words. So one of those two buildings, part of this, in Monday's incident, houses Penn Hillel. 
Pin Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L. That's a Jewish organization at the university. A statement from Hillel said police searched the building multiple times, including with a bomb-sniffing dog. All Jewish students deserve a learning environment that is safe and free from anti-Semitism and hate. At Penn Hillel, our doors are open for anyone who needs a safe space to process, find comfort and community with other Jewish students and staff, and learn about the war in Israel or just show up and be here. The other building mentioned is Lauder College House. That's a residential unit named after the Lauder family, which includes Ronald Lauder, a Wharton School graduate, and happens to be the president of the World Jewish Congress. That's an international network of Jewish communities and organizations. A longtime donor to UPenn, Mr. Lauder, last month announced he is closing his checkbook, citing his frustration over the university's support of the Palestinian Rights Literature Festival, which featured speakers who had promoted anti-Semitic rhetoric and took place just weeks before the war broke out between Israel and Hamas. It was the biggest anti-Semitic and anti-Israeli pep rally ever held at Penn. That's what Louder, the Jewish billionaire, said during a speech. When I pointed out to Penn's president that this conference would tarnish Penn's reputation, she refused to cancel it, citing freedom of speech. Something has gone very wrong in our education system, said the billionaire. Not long ago, the hatred of Israel and academia was confined to a few far-left socialist professors. But this upside-down logic now is spread everywhere. Almost every college president and every administrator is afraid to stand up and condemn it. Congress members criticize UPenn's response. The UPenn leadership's reluctance to take a stance amid the Israel-Hamas war, it's drawing criticism from many lawmakers. Earlier this month, two dozen members of Congress wrote to Ms. McGill, that's the president at UPenn, saying that they were disappointed by her initial silence in condemning Hamas. Silence in this case is resounding applause for the acceptance of evil. That's part of that November 1st letter. A total of 26 legislators, led by Ralph Norman, Republican of South Carolina, signed the letter. The lack of a prompt and unequivocal condemnation of Hamas's terrorism, they said, raises serious concerns about our institution's moral compass. This is the kind of stuff that's happening again and again. There is no way you can reconcile in any kind of righteous, free democratic society. You cannot reconcile what Hamas did. That is the greatest slaughter that has happened in world history regarding the extermination or attempted extermination of Israelis other than the six million Jews that were exterminated by Adolf Hitler in World War II. This is the worst and it's nowhere near being over. Don't think for a second Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran are through. Maybe if Donald Trump was still president, maybe this wouldn't have happened at all because he had Iran scared to death of him. They shut down their terrorism that involved us and other people in the Middle East when Donald Trump was president because he promised he would do something if they did. 
They killed an American journalist, and he did something. He blew Soleimani, the number one general in all of Iran, exterminated him and said, if you respond to this, you will regret living on planet Earth. They never did another thing. Kind of contrast where we are today, doesn't it? George Mason University. That's another big, very liberal college up in the Northeast. They accused, students there did, they accused the university and the president, George Washington, of the university of failing to recognize Israel's war crimes and genocide of Palestinians. So there are two sides to it, right? (laughs) You have Jews that are being slaughtered, and then you have Hamas, what they want to call themselves for the sake of this war, Palestinians. But there is a huge difference between Palestinians and Hamas. Hamas are Islamist jihadists. Palestinians, far more regular Palestinians are not. So the president, George Washington, Gregory Washington, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, sent an email to students and staff the second of this month outlining their Patriot Plan for Community Safety, which increased security measures, resources, and response to heightened tensions, including several disgusting anti-Semitic incidents on campus. The email was met with backlash from multiple students who voiced their displeasure, claimed that the university was neglecting its Muslim community by ignoring Israel's targeted genocide of the Palestinians in Gaza. How quickly they forget about the slaughter during the middle of the night of, oh, I don't know, men, women, children, infants, beheading infants, raping women in front of their family members, then shooting some in the head unprovoked in the middle of the night. That's okay. Obviously, it's okay because they're not saying, please forgive Hamas for doing what they did. But we think you're being evil because you're taking on or you're supporting those taking on holding Hamas accountable for the genocide that they created and put on the Jewish people. What's happening in Gaza is nowhere even close to a conflict. One email from one student read, it's genocide. What's happening in Gaza is a collective punishment. Millions of Palestinian civilians, men, women, children, have been and continue to be targets of Israeli hate and war crimes. It's not true. No evidence. In fact, the exact opposite of that is true. But they don't care about truth. George Mason University, they're a very socially engineered university. Almost every big Northeastern university falls into that category. Truth doesn't matter. It's what they want to make something to be socially. If we say it so, by jingos, that's the way it is. Another student wrote this. Do better, Mason. We are watching a holocaust before our very eyes. It's been happening for nearly a century. Children are being bombed. Hospitals, refugee camps, churches, mosques are being bombed with civilians in them. Washington's messages since the attacks by Hamas have been supportive of Israel He also came out against any attempts to curb free speech. He explained in 
an October 17th statement that those who wish George Mason would muzzle those with opposing views would run afoul of the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. One student replied to the president's email claiming they had been drawing art on campus. That was in no way meant to be perceived as a hate crime against Jewish people. The student wrote that they were approached by a university cop about the art and argued that the incident was evidence of the university's apathy toward Muslim students. Now you say that law enforcement will be more present on campus to protect Jewish people and by all means their safety matters. But what about my safety? What about my friend's safety, the student wrote. Didn't mention any threats against him and his fellow Palestinian students. Didn't mention that at all. But the student continued, maybe I'm misunderstanding this, but a bunch of leaflets with political statements of popular opinion and could be backed up by a lot of evidence considered the last 80 years of unconfirmed apartheid prompted the necessary law enforcement for the safety of Jewish people. But the murder of the Muslim six-year-old boy in Chicago and the Muslim pediatrician in Texas didn't prompt you to at least reach out to our community. So I ask you, Mr. President, will your next email keep dismissing our pain, our fear, and anxiety? Student forgot to mention anything about the 1,400 Jewish innocents that died in about an eight-hour period on October 7th by Hamas just barbarically slaughtering these innocent Jews. One student expressed concerns about federal George Mason students' lack of condemnation of the October 7 attacks that killed those Israelis, 1,400 that one night. A student claimed that many were celebrating the terrorist attacks online even before Israel began its siege in Gaza. The university has been grappling with tensions on campus after an October 30th video showed a woman tearing down posters of Israeli hostages that were taken by Hamas at the George Mason Johnson Center. That prompted the school to launch an investigation. Pamphlets were also distributed at George Mason's Fairfax campus with deeply offensive anti-Semitic rhetoric, according to Washington's email. We're going to repeat these stories. We're going to hear new ones. It's going to get worse. It is going to get worse. And so everybody thinks that Joe Biden, if you're, if you're um, a Palestinian, you consider yourselves to be a Palestinian, and that's where your perspective lies, you want the President of the United States, to support what's going on over there. I mean, after all, you don't like Jews, and if you're a true Hamas supporter, you don't want Jews to even live. But everybody sticks and locks into their own opinion, not even allowing consideration of the other side. But one Democrat representative has got a plan. One of the Unexpected moments of hilarity that was gifted to the U.S. public by one of their very own brilliant lawmakers. Late on Monday, Michigan Rep. Shri Thinadar called for a 72-hour 72 72 ceasefire in Israel 
so that President Biden could appoint a chief negotiator to convince Hamas to release the hostages and turn themselves in. Sounds like a great plan to me, right? So why didn't anyone else think of that? Who does he suggest we should send over there to be the hostage negotiator? His pick, Barack Obama. Yep, the guy who just went public saying that we all have blood on our hands. What Hamas did was horrific, and there is no justification for it. And what is also true is that the occupation and what's happening to Palestinians is unbearable, Obama said. You have to admit that all of us are complicit in some degree. Thankfully, almost everybody has it all figured out. There's one nagging question in the minds of many of us. Will it involve Israel sending terror sponsors pallets of cash? Uh-oh. And everybody listening to me knows what Sorry about that. Good grief. Console went nuts. We know what that's all about, don't we? And um, that's going to wrap it for the show today. Thank you for being here. If you want to join me tomorrow and analyze the debate tonight, send me an email. I haven't even looked to see who's who's wanting to come. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. We'll see you tomorrow. Look at us, baby, up all night, tearing our love apart. Aren't we the same two people who live through years in the dark? Oh, every time I try to walk away. Turn around and stay And I can't tell you why When we get crazy Just staying right Boy, I get lonely too You don't have to worry Just hold on Nothing's wrong as far as I can see